Hey, people. It is going off track. I am Steven with Brad. Wow. Oh, hi. I didn't tell you what happened over the weekend. (laughs) Uh, Brad is now a castrati. He'll be performing at the Metropolitan Opera Company. Uh, To my left, which you can't see, is Jonah Bear. Hi. Back. Yeah, you can see. Yeah, you guys can see me. You're not talking to me now? No, talking to all of our listeners. They say in radio that you're supposed to talk to everyone like a big collective. Actually, no, it's the wrong thing. That's how I used to do it. You're supposed to talk to one person. We're just talking to you. Just you. You're listening. And and also that you're supposed to imagine them naked while you're talking to them. I imagine everyone naked. This is maybe the fastest things have ever gotten this far off track (laughs) in an intro. It's about to get faster. <laughs> Jonah was just in Southeast Asia. I was. Sing- Singapore. Still slightly jet lagged, but I think just now I'm just like milking it. Like yesterday, I just stayed in bed all day and my roommate was like, you've been here all day. I'm like, I'm jet lagged. It's like, I just want to stay in bed and watch TV. I think I'm like <laughs> depressed maybe. Dude, it takes, what's the number? It takes like. I got back on Sunday and today's Friday. Yeah, but it takes like twice as long to completely recover from jet lag as how far you were away or something like it's incredibly long time so don't really? travel if you're listening yeah, yeah never travel Just stay especially re- if you're going from west to east that's or travel on horseback that way you don't have to worry about time changing or canoe or canoe canoe is very easy to travel especially if you're you know going international but you were at singapore home of the sling singapore home of the sling didn't go to the hotel where they invented it ah. um, but dan's been there he said it was kind of overrated <laughs> uh we had to do this thing during the wedding, uh, this thing called gate crashing, which is a traditional Singaporean thing where it's basically like, I was the best man, so basically the the groom and the best men have to like do these weird activities, kind of like the morning of the wedding. We had to go, go on. We had to go to this house, and then like my friend Dan, who's getting married, had to like bribe the bridesmaids to like let us in, and then we had to do like a series of tests. Like the first one, we had to like break these keys out of blocks of ice. And then we had to go in and they were like, Dan's wife, Michelle, they're like, she's really into like crafts. So you have to like recreate the proposal using like crafts. So we like made a dress out of paper. And, this like, started out as the best and is now the worst penthouse <laughs> well, form. And letter. then the third one was like this weird like fear factor type thing where we had to eat all this crazy Singaporean food that was like super gross. Like this thing, I don't know if you heard of this fruit, a durian. Mm-mm. It's like this spiky fruit and it's, they got us this cake and it like looked delicious. It looks like cake and it tasted seriously like a baby had thrown up. It was so gross and we'd eat it. Familiar with that. We'd eat Stephen knows that. Black century eggs, which are eggs that have been like. They're buried in the ground forever. Uh, yeah. Really? We'd eat like a sandwich that was just wasabi. And like we had to do all this stuff, and the bri- the groom doesn't really have to do it that much because they don't want him to get super sick on the day of his <laughs> wedding. But like they don't give a fuck about you if you're not the groom. So we had to eat all this stuff, and it was like doing this for my best friend's wedding. Like I have to do it. But you it was ate like, the old egg. I ate about eighty percent of it. We kind of shared stuff, but yeah, I ate. I took a big chunk of it. Ah. Uh... I'm really glad the bridesmaids got our letter, Brad, that we wrote. <laughs> and no, and at the end they were like, "We weren't. We know you guys are Americans. Like, we weren't really easy on you. Like, it could have been like normally. It's way you like, could have eaten this." And they pulled out a they live said, crab. Well, they they he kind of prepared us for it, and he was like, "Sometimes they'll make you like shave your legs. Like, they'll make they just make you do like weird <laughs> stuff." Like, I was like, the first place my brain went was like, "They're gonna make me knock out my friend Miles who went to the wedding with." I was like, "I'm gonna have to punch him and knock him out." And they were like, it's not really like that kind of stuff. It's not Fight Club. Yeah. 
I know. It's like, am I projecting something? <laughs> but uh, yeah, I guess they took it easy on us, and everything was easy. But the eating the stuff was kind of gross. The wedding was great, um, and yeah, and then I went to um, Thailand and then Korea. Wow, that's um, quite a and trip. Didn't eat anymore? No, <laughs> or durian. And apparently, people in Singapore think that if you eat a durian and then drink alcohol, you can die. And it's like this weird... So they just didn't want you to drink at the wedding? I, well, no, they didn't say... I found this out later. <laughs> but I think you have to eat the actual fruit. So they I don't tried know if to the kill you, basically. They basically tried to kill me. They were like, we took it easy on you, but I think they basically were trying <laughs> we to murder We took it easy up. on you, knowing that, tee-hee-hee, you're going to drink booze. Wow! Speaking of booze, uh, we talk about... Oh, yeah. That do. very subject with... We, we, Today's guest, Matt Pinfield. We're starting that, Brad. Join in. It's our news. Those listening, are you annoyed yet? Yeah. <laughs> um, Matt Pinfield, man, we we all know him through various scenes. You know him from MTV, from the radio, from VH1. He's the man who knows everything, and he impressed all of us, I think. Dude, when I asked him what the fourth song on this Teenage Fan Club record was... That was amazing. And he was like, what you do to me? And then I went home and checked, and I was like, yep. <laughs> like, who knows the last time that dude listened to that record? Uh, I was impressed. It's so cool. I was impressed by Matt Pinfield. Yeah, here he is, Mr. P. It's going on Now, where you living? I live in Harrison, New Jersey. Okay. When I moved out of the city in 2008... The irony was when the radio station started, 1019, I would have been two stops, three stops from, like, the station. But I just needed space, man. Right. I needed yeah, to have, totally. You know, like, it was just, I still have one storage unit I pay for every month, like, $174, and I'm, like, throwing that shit away. Yeah. yeah. Dude, because we... I'm, have... like, tempted. I want to downsize a lot of my vinyl. Like, I'm still going to have tons of it. Uh-huh. But I got, there's shit in there, like, who needs a fucking, like... Just because of all the times I moved, you know, there's stuff in there like from the 80s, like the third fucking Blow Monkey single that could, you know, easily be sold. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I wow. can give it away. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, the Blow Monkeys. Oh my I'm just using that as an example. There's like weird shit in there. Because, you know, my friend ran a record store and, you know, I'd get everything at cost from her. So, like, as a, as a as an alternative radio DJ and also as a club DJ at the time playing the alternative, I would just buy fucking everything pretty much. <laughs> yeah, I was paying costs. So, it was, you know. What was cost for the record? Back then? Yeah. Well, you know, usually those 12 inches would be like $10. You know, I'd right. get it for like four and a half mm-hmm. or something like That's that. That's insane. You know? Yeah. Right on. The bar. <laughs> the best story is crazy. Crazy Eddie's story. Crazy Eddie's? You want me to tell you. You know, Crazy Eddie's would be like a record store, a fine store. Yeah. Late 70s, early 80s. I became friendly with a girl yeah. who managed um, the record department. So I just showed up there with like... A stack of like Joy Division XTC albums, like every import, everything. Two dollars fifty cents. No. It fucking sold me stacks of records for like nothing. <laughs> so I just built my collection even more, you know, out of that. Um, she was pretty amazing. That's insane. Through her, I met Tony Shanahan, who ends up now he's in the Patty Smith group. He's like the youngest member. It's a bass player, but he was like my neighbor, like a guy who lived down on block and his parents had the Irish bakery. <laughs> so she said, oh, you got to come. She was in love with Tony. She goes, you got to come see his band play. So he, they were playing at the Melody. And then I ended up spinning records there for 13 years. So it was like all this weird kind of off connection. Crazy. But that's how I supported my daughter before I got a real radio job. Yeah. For those of you who recognize this voice, Matt Pinfield is with us here today. Do you want to have an official start, or are we already going? That's it, man. That's it. That's we how actually, we roll. We started before you showed up. We've been, we've been talking about you for like 
15 oh, yeah. minutes. <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, I, how great was getting lost? You know, it's so typical of yeah, getting well, lost wherever you go. That's what happens is the BQE cuts Hope Street. Now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I'd been here before, so I was like, you know, I was excited to get, get back here. It had been a long time since I'd been here. Now, I want to start with when all of a sudden, as an as avid MTV watcher for my entire life uh, and big 120 Minutes fan, all of a sudden there was Matt Pinfield. Like, all of a sudden, it was like, there you were. And I remember going, dude, this guy knows everything. <laughs> and, and I know because you get that a lot, but he knows how to talk to a band, which is a very special skill and getting things out of a band. So, like, you started as a DJ? You were from... Yeah, I mean, I grew up in a town called East Brunswick, New Jersey, Stephen. And by the way, oh. you also have that talent at interviewing bands, just so you know. I've, I've really enjoyed kind. you. You're very kind. You're doing... Absolutely. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, no, you really are. Um, and, you know, I grew up as a, as a kid. I grew up in the, like, uh, like the 60s and uh, early 70s. And, like, most of the 70s. I didn't, you know, I graduated at the end of the 70s. Um, Right on, right on, on the cusp of the '80s. But yes, I've been around that long. I'm an old dude. Well, it's funny because I, you know, I ended up going on TV at MTV. I was no, you know, I was already, I was already 30. So it was like, mm-hmm. you know, but nobody could tell because I had the baby face, and my mother, for some reason, has those genes where you look young for a very long time. Thank God. Nice. Although yeah. my daughter now, you know, who's um. She's in that new movie that's playing Lincoln Center, and it's gotten written up in the New York Times, The Unspeakable Act. She's got a um, supporting role in it. She's an actress, but she's like, Dad, everybody thinks I'm 17. She's 26. You know what I mean? Like, she's going to look young for wow. a long time. Uh, I had no a, idea. That's yeah. a good thing to have, man. Yeah. yeah. That's a good superpower. Yeah. We talk about <laughs> I'm, uh, yeah. That's a good I'll superpower. I'll go with that. Yeah. And also, shaving the head means no grays. Right. So that, uh, <laughs> that's the other thing. Brad's getting his hair cut today. So Are you right? I'm afraid, yeah. I don't care about the grays, though. I mean, it's, you know... Yeah, I just like I'm, I like low maintenance. I'm a low maintenance guy. We keep telling Brad his hair looks great, but he he won't. There is not want me there, to take it because I'm actually going to have to probably run out in the middle of this thing. There's no low maintenance than shaving the head. I know. Well, no, I, you know what? I would probably do it, but I have I've I've cut my hair really short, and I have a poor shaped head. You I'm gotta have the that. head for it. You have to have the head for it. Yeah, you know, I'm one of those guys who can't grow a beard. Like it just like it's all jagged. It doesn't look right. It's weird, spotty. <laughs> you know, because my girlfriend goes to me, "Hey, will you? Uh, why don't you try to think about growing a beard?" I'm like, "No, you don't want to see me grow a beard. <laughs> it's just not gonna work." But you have a good head, which is yeah. I, I'm blessed. I'll take that any head. day because well, I can never shave my head. It just looks weird. Uh, mine's all pointy. Really? You know. Yeah. The weird thing was when I was 15, I ended up with a uh, youth aneurysm, a teenage aneurysm. So I was in the hospital. There's a scar across the top of my head here. Um, I wasn't aware of how serious it was. Um, you know, they told my mother that they didn't expect me to live through the operation. So she said she'd get a second opinion. So she went to the best neurosurgeon in Middlesex County in New Jersey. And he said I had a 20% chance to live. I never knew any of this. The only thing bummed me out, it was like, I was lead singer in a band of 15 in my junior high, you know, uh, doing covers. I was, uh, I felt weird about getting my head shaved. Because you got to remember, it's the 70s. So it was like, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. it was right, it was before the bald punk thing. So the irony was, as stressful as that was, you know, the surgeon walked in to the hospital and said to me, well, Matt, listen, we have, you have a choice. You can either get half your head shaved or all of it. I'm like, half my head shaved? <laughs> what, you shaved the whole thing? What the fuck? Oh, but I was, you know, I was devastated. Um, but, you know, it was a really tough period to go through. But ultimately, I'm, I'm just uh, grateful to be alive. Yeah. But you talk about the bald thing. The irony was how upset I was about being bald then. And then, of course, I ended up going bald at a very young age, you know, my early 20s. And it's 
ended up fitting me. It was, ended up right. becoming my look. Oh. So isn't that a It's just kind of crazy. It completely works. And you know, it, had that been the 80s and they had to shave half the head, you'd have been like, yeah, just shave half. It's cool. Yeah. I was going to say. That could work. Could have worked. Yeah, and then you could totally put a few worked. different colors uh, mm-hmm. in there. But you would ask me about, you know, interviewing and, and bands. And, and, you know, my love of music started as a really young kid. I mean, you know, we, my father was a school teacher. We didn't, you know, we, we were a family that didn't have much money. So I remember my parents bought one of those old record players that played 45 RPM records mm-hmm. that would just drop the singles. <laughs> yeah. And oh, yeah. I think they bought a box of used vinyl. You know, this is like from the neighbors. Uh, so, you know, there were like Stones and Beatles and mm-hmm. Motown and stuff like that in that box. Do you remember the first one, the first the first song you heard? Um, It's hard to say, you know, because, mm-hmm. I mean, I obviously was in love with all that British Invasion stuff mm-hmm. and the Motown stuff when, it, when I was little. But um, first song I heard, it's hard to say. Because I was absolutely like, you know, I was, I'm talking three. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I started getting records, you know, when I was literally like five. So there were, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of some of those things like, you know. Now, did, you, did your parents have good taste in music? Because my parents have awful taste No, no, in my music. parents did not have good. My, my dad was like very much like a, he used to actually sing backing up Frankie Lane, that guy who did Mule Train back in the day. Only like while he was, my dad was in the Marines, but he used to like perform with Frankie Lane sometimes. So... He was more into like crooner stuff and you know um, that, that kind of music, yeah. yeah. But I didn't think it was bad by any means. It was just not. It was a different thing, you know. Yeah. I, this was in that period when parents and children really had a divisive kind of music. It was like you know, rock and roll was still pretty young, I guess, at that time, right. you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, but they supported my love for it. That's the one thing I can say about my mother and father. You know, they didn't necessarily understand it, but they right. supported it, which That's I think is all big, you can man. ask That's for. Huge. I mean, you know, we keep trying to because Stephen and I both have young kids now. We keep trying to figure out. What they're gonna do to just completely tick us off? Oh yeah, and yeah. Mike was just talking today about it. You're, uh, she's listening to what? Faith No Faith More. Faith No More. My daughter, she's one. But I have this, <laughs> I have this DVD when I clean my apartment that it's a, it's all the Faith No More videos. So I just I have it on usually, or it's, it's one of those you know it's like it's always in there. So I'm like oh, I'll just put that on while I'm cleaning. And she just literally started like bouncing, like just jumping up. And How down. old is she? She's one. One. Yeah. Wow. And now she points to the TV. Because we don't really let her watch. She doesn't watch a lot of television, you know, like, right? We just, you know, again, she's one. So she literally just points and just starts bouncing. And I'm like, I know what you want, but I can't put it on. And my wife came home. She's like, is she listening to Faith No More? I'm like, she kind of loves Faith No More. And I'm like, it's not a bad thing, though, right? And I'm like, yeah. am I a bad dad? If it was Mr. Bungle, yeah. be a little yeah. different. Yeah. Yeah. It's not then like, it's not like Phantom Oz. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Then you go, be man, different. she's already got weird yeah. taste. Yeah, she's weird. Yeah, no, she likes the standards, you know. Your, yeah. that Your Italian family would be happy if it was the, the Patton um, Aria's record, that Italian record. Yeah, oh my yeah. god. They, I, he's insane. Don't it's actually a good record. But. She kind of likes Angel Dust, I think, more than the... Uh, yeah. As well she should. <laughs> yeah. That's a great record, actually. It's really great. underrated yeah. Faith No More oh, record. Great. I love Everyone. that album. Were you at MTV Small when victory? they came by and played? And they, they, they played one of the shows there and they did Caffeine live? And I, the... I'm not sure. They, I mean, I had them on my on 120. Yeah. Um, That's actually on the on the DVD. I, yeah. yeah. 120, where he did... It literally opens with just blood-curdling screaming. Yeah. Yeah. It's them doing Caffeine, right? Yeah. yeah. That might have been when Dave Kendall was still the host, I think, or Lewis. It wasn't 120. I think it was Lewis. I think it was yeah, a different like show. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. They don't. They don't. <clears throat> it's just it's just one of the in between videos where it's just Patton like literally shoveling the microphone like down into his throat and doing that like kind of. Yeah. 
He had a lot of trouble dealing with the success at first, I think, yeah. of the band. He wasn't, you know what I mean? Mike, it, Mike yeah. wasn't, he wasn't that into it. He wanted to do different things. And, and then originally, you know, people were like, oh, there were rumors that the Chili Peppers kind of felt like they had nicked their style. Yeah, I remember that. And then, of course, the Chili Peppers surpassed anything that could, you I know. I know, right. I mean, within no totally time. Jump. But they're, um, you know, two great bands and, yeah. you know. I think, I think Chili Peppers evolved, but I think a lot of bands of the 90s, uh, late 90s, were listening to Faith No More in the early 90s. And, like, they, yeah. were, they were the wellspring from which... Even, you know, Corn and a lot of those bands yeah. grew, you know, based out of. I Not agree as, with you there. I, I, lo- <clears throat> I love that stuff. I even love the, you know, We Care A Lot album that Chuck sang lead on. I love that record, yeah, yeah. too. It's a great record. You know? Yeah. Both those. I have, I have an old bootleg um, that I found in England of a tour with Chuck Mosley singing live that I'd never heard. You know, it was before the internet, before cell phones back in the day. So I found this bootleg. And it's they would do this song that I thought was Mike Patton's idea, but it turned out they would do it. They did it with Chuck Mosley. It was the tour. They would do um, the Nestle chocolate commercial, and they would start the song in the middle of it. Chuck and then Mike would go, these dreams we cannot guess, N-E-S-T-L-E-S. (laughs) <laughs> creamy white and they would do this incredible like aria version of the, this old nestle chocolate commercial genius brilliant that is, that's, that's great that's, that's hilarious so what so what was the how did it go from uh you were djing doing radio dj and then a club dj and then from there how did it get into television well i mean you know i'm uh, what ended up happening was there was a radio station on the Jersey Shore, which is one of the first uh, 13 alternative uh, commercial stations. I mean, even before that was the term for it, it was pretty free form. I mean, it had a playlist, but, you know, we played people brought in their own records. And, um, you know, there was a playlist of new things as the format evolved. But it was, you know, like a free form FM station. It was in a house in the woods in, on the Jersey Shore. And... You know, like, you know, who the guy, one of the guys who hired me, there was this guy named, uh, oh, man, my head is spacing on it. Got it. But you know Mike Marone who runs the loft on Sirius XM? He was there. Right, yes. Um, and he was like, I called up looking for a gig because I had heard about it. He goes, hey, man, I recognize you. Listen to you on RSU and the Rutgers station. Bring mm-hmm. us down a demo. So I started doing weekends there and did it for many years while I was doing clubs. Um, and... Then in 1990, Mike had already left to, to work at a record label like Ryko Disc. Yeah. Um, there were some other people managing the station who got blown out. Uh, so the owner said to me, you know, she brought in a guy, this guy, Michael Butcher, who was from WHFS in D.C., another one of the uh, that first was, alternative that's stations. That's where I'm, I'm from, Northern Virginia. Yeah. HFS was, it was modern rock. Yeah. That was, and I grew up listening to that because I remember when I was in high school, you know, super young and it was all about glam metal and then i literally just turned the dial one day and they're like that was the stranglers and i'm like what the hell is that all about and then i started listening to it and got into a lot more different yeah. bands hfs such a great station they were a great station and they were the original festival radio station those hf festivals were incredible I, I, I went to the first three. First one was concrete blonde headlined and then the, the second one it was uh the, li- the lineup, it, it just sounds like a who's who of probably your playlist. It was literally The Laws, King Missile, Robin Hitchcock, Violent Femmes, um, Gang of Four. Yeah. That was that was the festival. And it was just a bunch of idiots. We were just outside in the sun. Just were you guys staring. at, was it at the stadium at that point? That or was, was it at Lake Fairfax. Yeah. That was, that was, I never went to the stadium. That was the first tour at Lake Fairfax. The third one was at a horse track in Upper Marlboro, Maryland, where the headliners were the Soup Dragons. Yeah. They might be giants. They headlined one of my festivals down on the Jersey really? Shore. I did like one of my Christmas shows. Oh, God. 
they, you know? They might be Giants they played, be Giants. Uh, Lush played, <laughs> Yeah, I really enjoyed. Yeah. And then this band, they were like the HFS house band, and I went to see them a lot. I thought they were great. Too much joy. Yeah, those guys are great. They were just, just One fun. of those guys works at Spotify now. <laughs> oh, like, really? Yeah, but, uh, yeah, those guys were cool. Their cover of Seasons in the Sun by oh, Terry Jacks. Genius. Uh, genius. Yeah, they were, they, they, were fun, they were a fun band. Yeah. We used to play them on that station. So uh, anyway, that was yeah. a deal. Like Mike, this guy, Mike Butcher, who was running that station, came to New Jersey. The owner of the station said, you know, I think you should meet this guy, Matt Pinville, because, you know, I think you need a good music director. And he, you know, he'd be right. So we hit it off. I became music director. And that's when the real gateway into the music industry for me. I mean, I'd always had friends who were in bands and supported bands and produced local bands around the New Brunswick, New Jersey area. Produced a lot of old vinyl for, for you know, bands that were coming up in like the early 80s and uh, but that was the opportunity that I had that I actually got to know people outside of my circle of people. So I got to know people at the labels. And I think as the music director of that station, they were really happy to see a music director who was excited about music as opposed, you know, I always said I was one of the guys who was looking for a reason to play a record, not to not play it. And that was the difference because I was, you know, I was very excited. Music enthusiast, not a music elitist, which is always my thing, you know. So... These, oh, these are a t-shirt line you need to put out, yeah. by the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but, you know, so what happened was people that list, had worked at MTV and, you know, were involved with 120 in the music department, some of them lived in Long Island, some of them lived in lower Manhattan. Our signal was not great from the Jersey Shore, but you could get it if you were by the water. So there were people there that knew the radio station or were involved with people that had done promotion. And I met this guy, Kurt Steffick, uh, who was programming 120 Minutes at a show. And he said, I love your station. You know, is it all right with, with, with you if I call and track records with you? Because, you know, people are always hyping us on stuff to play on 120 and All Nation. And I uh, would like to get a real feel from you of, you know, whether actually your audience is interested in those songs or not, or if it's hype. So we started this relationship that way. And, and one day I opened up this magazine called Album Network, and I saw that Dave Kendall had departed. Um, and, you know, it was weird. It, it, what happened was, I mean, we were in a meeting in Marcus. So I won these two awards called the Gavin Award for a, a, a commercial alternative music director, which nobody in, in, a, in a meeting market had ever won that award before. It was all pretty much reserved to people that were in major markets. So they, I won those awards. You're voted on by your peers in 92 and 93, um, which was shocking to me, actually, to be honest with you. I was completely shocked. But um, And this was still at the small station in Jersey Still at the small station. Wow, that's huge. So... In 93, I, re- I opened a magazine. It's a music trade, and I see that Dave Kendall has exited um, 120 Minutes. So I called up Kurt. I said, dude. I go, what's going on? I go, what happened with Dave? He goes, oh, well, he split. And I just said, you know, out of complete ignorance or arrogance, uh, I don't know, it's a combination, but I just said, hey, you know, you should have someone like me do that do that show in those interviews because, you know, like us, you know, I, I can relate to the bands and I really know the music. It'd be great. And Kurt says to me, well, I don't know if they'll still think you're in the demo, but let me talk to them about maybe you coming in for an audition. So... He calls me back an hour later and says they want you to come in. So it took a while because 120 was never a high-priority show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and eventually I went in, did an audition, cotton mouth, never been in front of a camera before. I had no f- TV training. I just love to talk about music and talk to bands and interview bands. So I, got, I filled in with Depeche Mode uh, in 93. Um, and it was really kind of a tough night for me because Martin Gore was like out of it and he was kind of looking the other mm-hmm. way, which I was like, oh, dude, don't do that to me. Engage me, please. <laughs> but yeah. Dave Kahan was fantastic. He's I mean, really great. He yeah. was great. And I still bust Martin Gore's ball sometimes about that. I kid with him. I'm like, you, you almost killed my fucking TV game. <laughs> 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 I mean, like, but we're friends now. You know, it's been so many years. Um, so I did that. I filled in. I got a phone call from the head of talent um, who said that they wanted me to do 
They, they thought I did a great job. Um, and then I remember she calls me up and goes, you did a great job even dealing with Martin Bohr. And she called him Martin Bohr. I would never say that because I'm a really big fan of Martin Gore. So he's a great songwriter. <laughs> but she said that she's British and she had that British sense of humor. And uh, I get a call saying they want me to come up and see him. I'm thinking, oh, shit, man. Maybe I got the gig. This is fantastic. I get there. And I sit in Andy Schoen's office and he says to me, uh, you listen, we're going to have Lewis do the show, but we'd like you to be on backup. And I was like, okay. I mean, I was kind of disappointed to say the least because mm-hmm. I thought I was getting the gig or at least doing it half the time. Oh, TV. But, but he said, Lewis, you know, <laughs> but he said, Lewis is going to do it. I said, oh, cool. So I stayed in touch. You know, I mean, I was friends with all those people that worked there anyway. And then um, I kind of stayed in touch with Andy Schoen, the guy, you know, every once a month or so we talk. And eventually people left the music department there that were working there in the music and talent department. And I was out to a dinner. With the music with the department, they were. Go- I was going to see one another show. They invited me to a dinner. They were going to see Green Day do Saturday Night Live around the time, I guess, of Dookie or something. No, maybe that. Oh no, yeah, maybe it was the album after. Maybe it was. Uh, yeah, was it the show, I'm not I, sure. It was probably ninety five. Was there with yeah. the guys from Rancid? Yeah, this was. Yeah, it could be right around that time. It was. It was actually before. It was ninety four. So they well, go. Then, yeah, that would be. Yeah, cool. love Rancid by the way, and you know, you know. Do you see that stuff Tim's doing? He's putting out a song a day on his uh, yeah, Hellcat thing. Really? I haven't yeah. heard about it yet. I heard he was going to do that. Yeah. Well, there's <laughs> a song a day is a high order. It's you know, yeah. but there's some good stuff on there. He does a lot of covers, oh, yeah. but um, I'll take his covers. Yeah, he's got some good ones. Definitely, uh, Tim's a great guy. I love him. But uh, yeah, guys. So what ended up happening? They're like, I made a. They were the one woman was hiring for another radio station. She was on the board. Who was the boss there? Uh, and she goes, and I said, oh, I'd be interested because I'd hit a brick wall, you know, at the radio station. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I loved it, but you know, I'd work three jobs to take care of my daughter. I mean, I was, you know, uh, you know, that's what we all do. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to, you know, do a lot of things. But mm-hmm. you know, I was struggling financially, um, and but I did what I had to do. You know, I did as many club nights as I could. Did private gigs, DJ at the station, hustled. You know, worked my ass off. So I remember her looking at me. He goes. She goes, oh, you'd actually go work there? Oh, man, I thought you would never leave HTG. You're happy. I'm like, it's because I'm not going to sit here and complain about that. You know, I mean, it's not my thing. And HTG gave me a lot of opportunity to, to, to get, you know, to get out and do the things that I did. I loved working there, and it was a lot of great mo- memories. Did but, you, when, when you had your daughter, did you, I mean, were you, were you, did you get married young? Was it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I got my girlfriend pregnant that I was living with, mm-hmm. and uh, then I had my daughter, who I love. She's amazing. Well, yeah. I have two daughters, actually. All right. Um, it kind of happened the same way. <laughs> <laughs> I, think they all, I think they all happen one specific yeah. way. Man. Yeah, that's absolutely. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, you know, you're living with your girlfriend and all of a sudden, oh, we're going to. But I, my kids are amazing. Um, my one daughter, she, was, she turned 13 the other day and it's blows my mind. I have an adult daughter and I have a 13 year old. But um, it's very bonkers how once you have kids. Yeah. Uh, that the, the one true myth is that time flies. Yeah. It's obviously it's like, wait, you, you're walking? Stop. Yeah. yeah. Slow down. Yeah. Slow down. I know we keep trying to. Well, you guys out. both have kids now, is that what you're saying? Yeah, now? Mike's got a yeah. one year old. Yeah. yeah. And how about you? Oh, yeah, I have two. You yeah. have two? How old are they? Uh, there will be two in a couple weeks. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Are they twins? Or? Yeah, I had twins, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. So you were smart. Do it one at a time, one yeah. at a time. I yeah. didn't really have any kind of control over that situation. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah. I have no yeah. kids that I know of. Yeah, yeah there it is. But he did just get back from Thailand. Yeah. I'm a little jet lagged. I'm a little out of Dude, it. Dude, you were in Thailand? Yeah, I was in Did Singapore. you see Dave Kendall while you were there? He's living there. Oh, yeah? You should go put out a bullet. <laughs> Dave, where are you? Let's talk about 120. Isn't he on Sirius? I don't know. Dave's a good guy. I mean, he's out there. Um, you know, he's a real good guy. He was living in Thailand doing web design or something out there. But he never committed to the bald, man. Yeah. Well, everybody's <laughs> different. You know yeah. what I mean? 
You know, like there's certain people, you know, that won't take scarves off their heads. You know how stuff yeah. goes. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not an insult. That's just yeah. the truth. Some people are really uncomfortable with the ball thing, and maybe it has to do with the shape of their heads. I surely do not begrudge them or say, oh, you know what? Come clean. It's like whatever. Do whatever <laughs> makes you happy. Wait, remember our, Come clean like Mr. Clean. Remember, no, uh, remember wait, back. wait, wait, wait. <laughs> the Brett Michaels story? Uh, what was it when we were at Bonnaroo? Do you remember? Oh, uh, yeah. We worked with um, a name? wonderful makeup artist oh down my God, there. She was like a she was one of those great makeup artists. Oh, the makeup artists were really nice down there. They were yeah, cool. She was this woman who worked for um, CMT for years. Yeah. And uh, I remember... Um, well, she wasn't far from there then. Yeah, I know. <laughs> right, right. Great. Yeah. I remember her saying um, she worked Nashville Star at the time. This was years ago when Mike mm-hmm. and I were working. Dude, I think my other. friend who I used to work with on farmclub.com, that TV show, Mike Walsh actually created... Nashville Star. I'm pointing at Jonah because I said something about Farm Club. He was like, "What is that?" Earlier? No, I wasn't yeah. talking about what is Farm Club. I didn't oh. know how it worked with the contract. Yeah, it was really interesting. Well, you know, Farm Club was an interesting thing because oh, I thought you didn't. It was her. Farm yeah, no, Club no. was a great idea. It was just too early. It was yeah. a website, a record label, and um, and a TV show. Um, and you know, people would come on this show and play next to you two or. Stone Temple Pilots or Beyonce or Eminem, Dre. I mean, it was like, it was all A-list. It was very... It was one of those things that I watched because it was like, where's Matt going? That's yeah. why I watched. Well, thanks for thanks for watching, man. I, I appreciate it. USA it was a lot of fun. It was good. it was also um, interesting because I those are the only t- like two years I lived in Los Angeles, so I got to experience the other coast. <laughs> Even though I was traveling all over to do the shows mm-hmm. to interview, you know, like to interview and, and do packages stories on mm-hmm. the artists that were uploading, so I was all mm-hmm. over the country. It was it was a fun experience mm-hmm. for a while. I will say that I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the opportunity to do that. And when I saw Jimmy Iovine not that long ago, he I was doing like well, it was a few years ago, but it was a U two world premiere radio thing, and he came up to me and goes. He goes, we were just too early because nobody had broadband yet. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It was right. people haven't found the social community online, but the idea was there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, but it was it was a good it was a good experience. But I would just get back to saying how I ended up getting the gig. Yeah, I um, got on MTV. I ended up going in the music and talent department first. There was an opening there. Ah. So I went on there and, you know, and I helped talent get around and like help program shows and come up with show ideas and program video hours. What shows? I don't know. We were. I was involved with all of them from Young okay. to your Absolute Nation to. Yeah, it was fun. I, had, I I enjoyed it, and you know, there were some great experiences there with some of the unplugs, and it was. Uh, those were some. It was fun. Any stick out? Um, well, the Allison Chains one sticks out oh, for me because you know Lane's oh, Lane's, Lane's girlfriend had gone rushed to the hospital that night, so it was a very difficult night for him. Plus, I was out with Jerry and Mike Inez the night before, and Jerry was not feeling real good that day. <laughs> he had a bucket next to him. I think uh, he said that he ate some dirty water dogs, but I'm, I don't know. Maybe it was. <laughs> I think we just drank too much the night yeah. before that. To be honest, that's my old excuse. Yeah, that too. it's yeah. the dirty water dogs <laughs> in New York water. City. They fu- no, but they played great that night. Oh, that there were insane. a lot of great ones, yeah. you know. Um, Metallica sitting in the crowd for that one. Yeah, Metallica were sitting right, literally on the on the grandstand next to me. And what's funny enough is, as much of a fan as I had been, I'd never met them before. So they looked over at me and go, "Dude, we need to be friends," which was a really cool thing. So we be, we got to know each other that night, and then I ended up doing a ton of stuff with them on the air there. But we had not, believe it or not, had not met until then. Which is pretty crazy. You think that was because even <laughs> yeah. at the time with 120 minutes going on, was Headbangers Ball still happening? 
I was starting to. I did a show called Matt Rock, which was like a follow-up to Headbangers Ball. Basically, it was Headbangers Ball with my name in it, my image. And it was done. It was an interesting type of show. But, it, you know, that lasted a couple of years, too, a few years. But people always stop me and go, dude, Headbangers Ball. And I don't sit there for 10 minutes and explain, no, dude, it was called Matt Rock. They changed the name. It's like, you know, yes, it was Headbangers Ball. Because, truthfully, it was. That's really what it was. Um uh, and it was a lot of fun. I mean, I was doing them at the same time. That was when, I mean, there was, I was on during the day doing Pinfield Suite, Pinfield Presents. There was a daily version of Matt Rock, 120 minutes, and doing M2, MTV2 at the time. It was pretty And they busy. were only paying you to be music and talent and never paid you as a host. Well, they paid me a little more. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, we know what that, where that goes. But, um, Can we go back to you in the audience of Alice in Chains Unplugged and then Metallica there? And Metallica goes, hey, we need to be friends? Yeah, they said we need to be friends to me, yeah. which I thought was right. cool. That's, I just wanted to go back to that because that would be like, I've retired. Uh, that's pretty much the awesomest thing ever. And I think I'm going to just go home and chill out. You know, it's, you know, it's tell cool. people this story it, over. There's, there's that. You, you know, it's cool. I really enjoy. Mike actually has a heart on. Right you do. Yeah. Well, you know, they're great band. You know, and they were just great guys. So Sorry. I ended up like doing everything with them. We did those. It's pretty rad. That motherload special where that tractor trailer went to like Kurt Cobain's old hometown where they won in Aberdeen, and we actually were supposed to be in the truck the whole time, but it pulled up outside the city. We all got in the back of the truck, and then it opened up, and we all jumped out of it. Uh, and and these, you know, they played in these this little like bowling alley bar. For these dudes, really, <laughs> it awesome. was a great contest. Um, but they're just great guys. We we had a lot of fun doing different things with them. And one of my favorite things, if you'll see it, when they did the reload uh, tour uh, thing, where they did the free show in uh, in Philadelphia, we're on the tour bus, and we actually just out of the blue start jamming. Like Kirk's playing guitar, and then me and James start switching off, singing Thin Lizzy's Cowboy song. Really? Which, yeah, that's incredible. All right, really, like for real, this yeah. is like a story. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah, that's cool. I yeah. am just a cowboy. That's a great song. Oh, I love Thin Lizzy. I love Thin Lizzy too. My favorite bands of all. Time. Uh, yeah. Just. I mean, specifically, <laughs> you. No, no, this, this leads in. Because James Hetfield has that really gravelly voice. You have a really gravelly voice. Have you yeah. always had that? I mean, you have you have like the best voice. It's a very distinct, yeah, very distinct. Oh, that was kind of you guys to say. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's doesn't it sound like I smoked like five hundred packs of cigarettes and I have you haven't? It's, yeah, you're a lucky guy. I knew I knew a singer one time that actually but thank did you for smoke that. a lot, and she was afraid to quit because. Because of the yeah, because you get that rash. Well, that's why people, you know, there's people that want, you know, they they want like cosmetic surgery, and then they realize, wait, I better not change my nose. I might change my voice. Yeah, right. exactly. I don't know what happened. Michael Jackson, though, he was able to get away with it. I guess. <laughs> well, you know, you have to have <laughs> options of noses to make yes, that work. You do. Yeah. <laughs> now, I mean, have you, have you always had that? Always had that rash? No, not really. I don't. I don't know. You know, I don't kind of know. I don't know when it really came into existence. It was definitely. After I think around my after my college years, a little later, you know, like do you have recordings of your first radio show? I have early ones. You guys would die. I've got my on college radio. I even have ones where I'm practicing as a kid. There's one somewhere on a cassette, whether it plays or not. But you know, I used to do radio shows out of my basement. My father built one of those science fair AM transmitters that went a block. So we actually no put a radio, a radio station radio in my station? basement. Yeah, awesome. and had all the neighborhood kids come over when we weren't out fucking playing baseball or. You know, that's sick. Rest that, with is each that other. Where it started is that where like oh this is yeah it. because that's really oh that's my daughter. No Jess, I'm doing an interview. I'm gonna call you back. Okay. okay Love you. Bye. That's my oh <laughs> <laughs> check in here with my kid. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So you know, like that was one of the things that was a catalyst. Well, that's what I wanted to do. I mean, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a disc jockey. I either wanted to be a sing- in a band. Obviously, everybody has that fantasy when they're a kid. Or 
You know, or, or do radio. I was fascinated with radio. I loved it, you know. And radio was so unobtainable in that era of time, you know. But there was this one guy who used to let me. I befriended a guy who was on the local AM station in New Brunswick who was like most of the time they'd play really bad music on this station. But he was on at night, 7 to midnight or 6 to midnight. And I became friendly with him. And he let me. My parents dropped me off in this very scary New Brunswick at that period of time. <laughs> Seven, right. And I went up and would sit and watch him. Do oh, his really? thing. And uh, I've gone, you know, about two or three times. How'd you meet him? On the phone. I just kind of befriended him. Wow. <laughs> you know? He's still in touch with me. He still follows what I do. Long time listener, first time caller. He runs New Jersey caller. Radio Hall of Fame. Like, he, you know, like this. That's what he does. Oh, wow. But he, um, you know, he was like an early mentor, which was very cool. He was uh, very, very friendly. And then my dad, of course, was major support. We didn't have any money. I mean, we had beat up record players, you know, used the cheapest Radio Shack mixer. But that's all you need as a kid. You know yeah. what I mean? It's It was very DIY. Of course, people are doing it many other ways on computers now. But... But it was a very different world back then. In fact, in order to be on the radio, in order to control a, a transmitter, you had to go to New York City on the bus to the FCC and take a test. It's element one, two, and nine, which were these science tests. And nine was really fucking hard. And I was like 16. I wanted my license. So I went up there, and I didn't pass element nine the first time. So I was very upset. Went back and passed it again a year later because you have to wait a year to take it again. But it was hard. But, you know, now anybody can go on a radio. Anybody can go on anywhere. That's the magic of it. You can go on podcasts. Wait, wait. But back then it was that hard. So you're saying even if you're going on a licensed station, just as. Like- I mean, in order to control it. See, like, in order for me to be in college radio or wanted to be, I had to take, you know, like uh, measurements from the transmitter. So, like, you know, power measurements. Oh, really? So, in order to do the show, you had to have that path. And all of a sudden they changed that. You know, uh, in the early 80s, and they deregulated it. But, I mean, it was that hard. Wow, I mean, you had to go and do that just cool. to be on the air. That's crazy. And, uh, and you know, from, I knew what I wanted to do, so. Well, that's intense. So, you at know. 16, you're like, you know, I need to be licensed by the FCC. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> other people at 16 are like, I should drive a car. Yeah. Well, I wanted to do both. <laughs> <laughs> we well, had to get to New York. Yeah. Oh, that's insane. It's some funny How stuff. did you end up kind of crossing over into the kind of label world? Because I remember when you were working with Coheed and Columbia and doing all that stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, I always, you know, I always said while I was, you know, doing 120 minutes and, and working at MTV that I'd love to do A&R one day. I wanted to work with bands and sign bands. And um, after Farm Club ended, when we knew that it was, it was ending, um, you know, I'd gotten on the phone with... I was talking to, um, you know, I'd already, you know, met with Will Botwin once before. They had actually flown out to meet with me while I was at Farm Club. But there really wasn't going to be the opportunity to work for both Jimmy Iovine and for Donnie Einer at the same time. <laughs> two separate companies, you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. they're two separate companies. Jimmy was great, but I, you know, I took that meeting with them, and that's something that they wanted me to do. So I was on the phone with Steve Kingston, who ran K-Rock, you know, in the, in the day, and Kingston was like, man, you know what? Maybe you should come back to New York and do that. And Donnie's been talking about it. So I went, flew out, met them, and then I went in and started working for Columbia and did A&R there. And that was quite an education, too. It was a real enjoyable experience most of the time. But you still, you know, micromanaging and dealing with all kinds of craziness like managers who don't know how to manage mm-hmm. and egos of producer managers who want their producer to mix a record even though they can't mix but they can produce like you're always dealing with some kind of politic always but you know nonetheless i had really you know proud of the coheed records and, and just you know oh, yeah. there's a lot of good stuff that we did i remember when i saw you um <laughs> linked up with coheed i was like oh that makes sense i think you had me on the your show <clears throat> yep you had me on your show right around the same time yep. and uh i remember coming down and, and hanging out with you at <clears throat> fuse um i enjoyed that experience it was crazy you know 
Like, you know, like where you almost signed the band and, and then, you know, like the other record company president mm. pulls out a contract before you get there. Like the Killers was that one. It was just between me and Island Def Jam. I'd go and watch the Killers rehearse in their garage in Summerland uh, with blankets on the walls, doing Mr. Brightside, Smile Like You Mean It on top. And they just written Midnight Show. They go, this is a new song we just wrote. And then I went out with, uh, to dinner with them. And then me and, Br- me and Brandon went out. He had a couple cassettes of Beatles in his car because he had an old AMC Centro because, you know, I didn't have any money at the time. So we were driving around, drunk, singing Help and a bunch of Beatles songs. <laughs> we went and talked about life for like an hour at the bar at the Las Vegas Hilton where I was staying. I left the next day on a plane. He went home that night and wrote all these things I've done. Uh, <laughs> so it's a pretty, uh, pretty crazy, wow. it was a pretty, pretty cool yeah. story, you know. So, um, but yeah, but that was the band, I, you know, that's one of those bands <clears throat> where... You know, Lior Cohen was really, uh, yeah. as, uh, as a chairman of uh, Def Jam, was very aggressive and smart. And even Rob Stevenson, who signed him, said to me, he goes, Matt, he goes, we can feel you breathing on our neck. He goes, we took care of it. You know, they were, they didn't want to lose the band, and rightfully so. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, that Hot Fuss sold, you know. That was just an amazing record. Plus, a great record. I mean, every record has great songs on it, in my opinion. I think they're a great band. But um, So when did you get into Clowns for Progress? When did I? Oh, when did I find out about those guys? Oh yeah. Man, well, well, Clown, here's the one thing. About, here's the things about Clown for Progress, which you're in. Well, you know, Brad, you and Johnny, right? I mean, yeah. right? Johnny played drums, yeah, right? With, it was just the three of us. So it started out as a four piece before I joined. Yeah, it did. Yeah, and then it's just Remember they had like clown makeup and stuff. Yeah, but it was you, Johnny, and who else? Who was the other Dino. guy? Dino. Dino. Yeah. Yeah. That was you guys part. sent me like what was so one of the greatest things ever. I don't know. I got this gigantic box in the middle of MTV. And it was like it was like some kind of electronic toilet seat or something. It was this really weird <laughs> big piece of metal that had absolutely no really? purpose, but this it was before, still great to get it in the mail. I was like, what the fuck is this? And then I go, oh, it's my guy's cover for progress. Yeah. <laughs> well, Johnny, hey, Johnny's written some great songs with Ryan Adams, man. Yeah. I well, love he was really Johnny was pretty much responsible for the rock and roll record. Yeah. Like he kind of, I think it was something right. I love that record. I mean, you know what? I know there's a lot of, I argue, well, I don't argue the point because everything's a matter of personal taste. (laughs) But people, I mean, sure, I love Heartbreakers, a great record. I love all those records. I even love Love is Hell, but I love the rock and roll album. Yeah, I mean. But you know what? You know who doesn't like it? Ryan Adams doesn't like it. And I think it's more because of what it reminds him of that time he was going through some personal struggles. I mean, he fell off the stage in Liverpool, England and broke his wrist. Couldn't tour the record. But I think he got too. I think he got a lot of flack for it from his, like, you know, his hardcore. Yeah, the old country and Americana fans were not digging it, but I love the record. No, I think it's a fantastic record. But, you know, he doesn't because I think, you know, so he basically said. To me, I'm on the side of the stage. I was hosting that Bob Mould tribute. It's actually, if you go to Bob Mould's website, you can actually see or download this movie called See a Little Light. After he wrote the autobiography, he had actually um, decided to put the show together. Him and Dave Grohl put together like a Bob Mould kind of tribute thing with like Ryan Adams and, you know, Britt from Spoon and No Age and Margaret Show. It was a very diverse amount of artists, people that were playing. But he asked me to come out. Bob wanted me to come out and host it kind of in a storyteller's way. He didn't use that description. But where I was asking people kind of their, you know, I would go on stage in between artists and talk to them about why they love Bob or their relationship with Bob Holtz that he played. And Ryan um, said to me that night, he was like, oh. I can't stand that record. I'm like, dude, but I love it. So <laughs> I just didn't. But I remember him on the side of the stage telling me that, you know. But I mean, doing the A&R thing, Jonah, I really enjoyed it. I had, I had a good experience. But, you know, I, it's one of those things where you deal with a lot of interesting stuff. Like, you know, managers who some great managers. Like, you know, Coheed's manager, Blaze James is a great manager. Yeah, Blaze is great. And a great, great guy. 
I won't mention the band's name because, you know, of, of libel and slander. But um, <laughs> there was another band who had a really terrible manager from the West Coast who was just his, his, he, he was just a dick. And he was always, you know, he basically destroyed this band after their first record because, you know, he was trying to cut corners and save money. They didn't get a great deal to begin with. Not, it wasn't because it came in through another avenue, but I made the record and they asked me if I wanted to um, sign this band. The point was, he was such an dealing with idiots. I mean, we all deal with them, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and there's a lot of great people, too. So the great people, because of the great people, it makes dealing with, with the people that aren't so good. And don't you feel like that the general. great people are outnumbered by the idiots, though, some days? Yes, they are. But don't you feel like also like sometimes managers, I feel like, ha- have to have that kind of person where it's such a fine well, no, line between being uh, well, aggressive and being a dick? Some people... That's why I feel like I can never do. I'd be too nice. Yeah. I'd be like, no, I want no, this, no, and they'd be like, no. I'd be like, okay. I mean, hey, Blaze is never a dick. He's <laughs> yeah, a great that's manager. true. That's hey, true. Jonathan Daniel and Bob and those guys at Crush, they're great managers oh, and great yes, people for sure. Never, you know, never dicks ever. So the point is, although I did see Bob put a guy in a trash can once for a bad review. <laughs> oh, did you? <laughs> yeah, dude, that's great. Well, tell yeah. me more about that. He was yeah. a little was guy. Like the, was yeah. it like that scene in Purple Rain from the time when they put the woman in the in the in the trash thing? It was very quick. It lasted about four seconds, and he was laughing the whole time. Oh, yeah. But it was just probably around. listening right now. Yeah. Too. <laughs> hey, you know, let me tell you something. Can you imagine speaking of how things have changed? You're talking about putting somebody in a trash can. Can you imagine now if somebody had picked up a woman and put her in a trash can because he was trying to get rid of her? Like, like, um, what's his name? Morris Day from the time and Jerome. Oh, yeah. Do you know how much slack they would get right now? That would be insane. That would be flagged beyond belief. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I had a question. Speaking of sort of how things have changed, you, but, but uh, oh, go ahead. I just want to finish by saying, yeah, yeah. there are a lot of great managers, great producers, great mixers. I had a great experience. I loved doing A and R there, and I had a lot of fun doing it, and and um, met a lot of great people, and worked with a lot of great people at Columbia. So, you know, I'm um, you know, I'm grateful for those times that I had. But I'm just saying, you know, it's funny though. But you do have to, you know, and then you'll deal with stuff like just to say real quickly, yeah, no, like good. you know, where a band is very, you know, precious about their, their, you know, their uh, their track, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, you know, the label wants you to add a chorus, to repeat a chorus, or to cut a length of a song and do all this other stuff. Sometimes it's doable, but a lot of times that's messing with an artist's music. But isn't that <laughs> funny? How if you. Um I understand making a radio edit. But, yeah, but you make a radio edit, but like, um, uh, I just saw this on, I think it was Palladio, which is a station I enjoy. Um, the Bridge Over Troubled Water documentary, where they're, Simon and Garfunkel, Paul Simon has written Bridge Over Troubled Water, and it's done. And um, it was uh, Clive Davis and our Garfunkel are like, no, it's not done. You need to add something else to it. Like arguing with Paul Simon about what you have to do yeah. to this song from the record label, also from you know someone else in the band. Like you need to add another chorus, you need to add another line to it. You need to do this. It's not finished yet. So you, as the artist, are thinking, no, it's not. Yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's almost to the point of when you write a book, there's a reason you have an editor. Yeah, because you need another set of eyes and or ears to go think about that for a second. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, yeah. I think um, you know certain people are can make a great record and are untouchable. But so you do definitely need a sounding board. I think so, too. Mm-hmm. I think it makes, you know, it's good to get outside opinions. But you must you have gotten a lot of people asking for your opinions before yeah, records came do, out. Yeah, I you know, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm grateful to do that. I mean, I love to listen I to the music. I find that nerve-wracking, man. I, I, we had um, Quinn and Jeff from The Used In a couple yeah. weeks ago, and I sat between their manager and John Feldman and listened to their third record with them staring at me. And I found it to be incredibly under. And then, like, what do you think? I'm like, I can't 
Oh, I'm not even listening to the band. I'm just watching your eyes stare at me. Oh, you mean like the used guys? Or, yeah, no, not the no. band. The band. I love the, the, yeah. It was the producer, you know, Feldman yeah. from Goldfinger, who produced their like first three records. Yeah. Just sitting there staring. I like John. That's oh, so he's funny. Great. Yeah. John's great. He moved up into the hills. I know he used to live down in Marina Del Rey. I would go he to his a, house. He's got, a, again, someone else with a good set of ears who. He, he's, a, he's a great producer. Yeah. And a good guy for that matter. You gotta too. stop shit talking everyone, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> Dickheads. <laughs> no, I like John. I like John very much. He's you, a, know there's, you know there's a Pinfield like. Like a list, yeah. <laughs> People that have it's in my head you. though, like everything That's else. Fun, yeah. <laughs> like everything yeah. else. Yeah, you know, I did that too when I first met you. I was like, oh, it's Pinfield. I gotta go say hi. I gotta say hi. And then going up and I said, Hey, you ever heard of Palehead? Because I'm an asshole. Because I didn't know yeah. what to think of. And I was don't just stand like, in line. One of my yeah. I love that song. You know, but like that. And obviously, you start talking to me about it in my head. I'm like, Of course, she knows. I know my first. Why question, didn't I say hi? I know. I wanted to be like, What's the fourth song on Bandwagon esque or something? <laughs> yeah. Like I felt, and I was like, Don't. What do was that. it? What you do to me? There you go. <laughs> If you say it, I guarantee you it's true. I love Four that. Four or five. God, I love that. <laughs> yeah. That is a great song. It sounds like Big Star. That's yes. why I always love it. It's very Do you know pop. when I was at Fuse, the um, uh, head of music talent at Fuse said he would tell labels, they would say, oh, you got to talk to Steven. He's our pinfield. And I had to say, don't do that. <laughs> and I said, I've got some game. I know some bands. You pinfield, do, though. Pinfield is a phenomenon. Give like, yourself some credit. Come on, Steven. I know some great. stuff. But like you, like I, we were talking about this in the intro to the show that I can't remember the band. But they were they're overfused, and they were going to talk to you. I, I can't remember when. Maybe it was uh, RXP. I'm not sure. And the band said, "Matt scared me." It's like we scared you. How did he scare you? And he went. He knew my dog's name. <laughs> and I went. You probably said that in an interview. And it's like no. Yeah, I mean, have you I always had such a good memory? Because I feel like my memory is horrible. Yeah, I mean- Music for music things, you know. I may not remember what I ate last night or uh, whether I paid the electric bill last month. Well, actually, I'd, most of the time we have things to remind us of that now. It's called recurring pay. But, um, but, uh, but music for me, honestly, is, uh, you know, that's, I mean, it's, I, I memorize it so much because it's just been such a part of my life. It's my fabric. It's, so that's why those things stay in my memory. Um, and I can't really explain it. You know, I mean, I've obviously done, lost some uh, some brain cells over the years with some of the uh, excessive madness. Uh, right. But I still have all this music memory. So, I mean, I, uh, mm. yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm here, I'm alive, and I still remember all those music things, which is pretty great, I think. You know? How are you doing with the madness? You were very open about that on RXP one day. I'm doing I was, good. I'm I was, doing good I was, right I was, now, yeah. I literally turned on the radio one day, and, and all I hear was yeah. you talking about rehab, and people were calling in about oh, it. Oh, yeah, people went nuts. Yeah. Well, you should have seen the rating spike that day. <laughs> uh, you can actually see. I mean, and that's not why I did it. I mean, I just was, um, mm-hmm. I, I decided it was time to take a break. Um, I think I got back, it got down to this when I actually came clean about, about the, uh, the problem. I, I felt that my audience was too smart to say, to go away for a month and to, you know, like pretend I'm on vacation for 28 to 30 days. Secondly, I felt that. I mean, it helped a lot of people. I had people came up and just waited in the lobby of the station to say that, you know, I finally got clean. I was hiding it from my, my wife and my kid or my girlfriend. And, you know, I finally decided to do something about it. You had an effect. So, I mean, I think it, it had was a, a bold effect. move to take to the airwaves with that, man. Like, that was... Yeah. And, uh, like, seriously. like, like that, I, I've never heard anything like that before. And then literally, I happened to turn on the radio. And yeah. it happened to be that day. And it was fascinating. I listened to the whole show of you just taking calls from people. Yeah, I still have, all, the, I still have that show. I have a CD, They burn CDs of the show. Yeah. It's there as a memory if uh, I need to be reminded yeah. about how it can get. You know what I mean? But um, yeah, listen, you know, I don't preach to anybody. I mean, if 
you decide that you want to be clean and sober, mm-hmm. that's something that you're interested in. You know, I think that's great, you know, but, but I don't tell people how to live their lives. No, you, I just yeah. want to be there to help the people that I care about or if somebody needs someone to talk to about it. I'm there. You know, I did. Yeah, we have enough friends in recovery. That yeah. It's, it's, it's a solo mission. It is. Yeah. And you, it's an inside job as they say. Yeah. Cause it's not about geographical. You can move anywhere in the world, but wherever you go, you're still there. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I, I, I had a buddy who was, um, who, uh, who we were, Mike and I were talking about this on the train here that he, he, um, one of my dear friends, in california and he got bad he bottomed out and he put himself in rehab and like hard like he didn't have any money so he put himself through hardcore like salvation army rehab yeah. like which is where the prison guys were sent he ends up running the program you know a lot of times that happens people get you know graduate and they end up becoming you know counselors de facto yeah. counselors there and he had this great line where he was running a meeting and a bunch of guys were sitting there and he went a lot of you guys aren't done getting high yet so you're wasting getting high time right now Go get high, do your yeah. thing. I'm here whenever you're ready. That's how it works. Do your thing. And it was the smartest thing I'd ever heard because it wasn't preachy. It was just, you know, you know when you know if that's what you need to do. Yeah. It's very smart. Absolutely. Just for the record, I yeah. would have been totally like, oh, he's on vacation for a month. Like, yeah, me you too. deserve it. I was going to yeah. be like, you know, he works yeah. hard. Me and yeah. Mike are examples of you're not <laughs> smart fans. Yeah. I was going to yeah. be like, we're not the guys that would be like, you know what? Yeah. I'm, I'd be like, oh, I guess he maybe took should, a, maybe I I guess he took a break. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he's, I would have been like, maybe, where is he? A Hawaii? That's the way I see yeah. it, too. You know? <laughs> it looks kind of tan. Um, yeah, like, what? I mean, you know, it, you work hard. You got to relax a little. It is what it is. You know, like it's done already. It's so funny that you said that. Now you got me second guessing. God damn it, I never should have said it. <laughs> oh, you know, no, you know, like I said, I mean, I know that it helps some uh, some some other people out, no. and I think that that's you know kind of like, that made some a lot of people know they're not alone, you yeah. know, in, in going through uh, these that's situations. The most important thing. You got to remember that I came up in that time of the '80s where people were like, you know, I'm DJing in clubs, so all the booze is free. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. And then you know. There's other things that are around, and people are like, oh, it's not addictive. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, it's a, there's like, you know, it's just that kind of thing. So just, I mean, for me, the booze was, it was just, um, it just, it catches up mm-hmm. for some of us, you know yeah. what I mean? And, um, but, uh, hey, what, you know, listen, I mean, the great thing is I've been so blessed to have great opportunities and to do different things and, and you know, didn't destroy my career, <laughs> you know what I mean, and, which is, and could have, <laughs> you know what I mean, but, um, I yeah, didn't. but you're a respected dude, you know what I mean, and, uh, well, I have to respected dude, who talks like that? <laughs> no, it's <laughs> He's a respected fine. industry professional who sincerely loves what he does and people enjoy being around you. Like, you know, the handful of times, like, we've met and hung out, it's like, gotta do this more often you know what i mean like it, it's something that you want so and that was very nice what you wrote about me in alternative press that time too you were talking and, and i was very i just wanted to th- thank you and say that i was really You're very welcome nice. not to go back and which one did i write i, I think that was after <laughs> it was some, i think it was about south by southwest we were there oh yeah dude remember oh, that? that was yeah. great that was so much fun it was um i was literally walking down the street and there was this giant pavilion of glass and in this pavilion of glass was matt pinfield <laughs> And you were doing yeah, that, that thing got hot, man. It was like a it was like a twenty four hours of direct TV coverage of yeah. For three years, I did that as the <sighs> anchor um, with co hosts uh, every year. But the last year, Andrew WK did some stuff like on location on the other side of it yeah. with me. He and I did that. But the other two years, I had um, 
Abby, who's now married to Brett from Brett from yeah, Fuel. Yeah, I know Abby. Abby's great. Um, she's, she was uh, she was at VH1 for a bit. Yeah, mm-hmm. Abby's very cool. And then who, then there was someone else I hosted with. And God, do I feel like a jerk for not remembering at the moment? That's one thing I forgot. But there were some <laughs> cool people that came through there. Like Townsend came into the box to be interviewed. Oh, like there were man. just so many. You know, it was we, it was it was a great opportunity. It was fun. It was live TV. It was eight hours a day, three days straight. So sure. I had a blast. Dude, I really enjoyed. Doing I would it. walk by. When we were down there, and I'd be like, "He's still there," <laughs> and it was in the middle of everything. It right. was like Sim City. They dropped a box in the middle of Austin, and it's just nonstop broadcasting. And people would just cycle through, cycle yeah. through. And that, from a hosting standpoint, like how hard that is to not know who's coming up next, what you're going to say. Plus, it was on a serious clock. It was what two, three minutes per guest. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was n- nuts. Live, dude. My, and then when the band's the producer up, we had to keep talking. Out. You know, yeah, you've yeah. done those live no, things crazy. where all of a sudden the band's not ready or some, <clears throat> there's some backline problem, and the yeah. next thing you know, you're you're yeah. going. But you do. You just love, you know. I mean, that's the thing about radio, having done radio for yeah. so many years. Yeah. That, that's why you get, you're able, you know, and you know what I'm talking about. Well, well I don't come from radio. I come I, from, uh, like, a, a, a dumb background. I was an actor who, uh, in a similar situation to you, went to an audition and they went, wow, you know a lot about bands. And I was like, I know a lot about bands. I just, I like music, you know, so it yeah. went that way. But I had no training. So the guy who really mentored me was Amir Halim. Yeah. When I was at, because I started at VH1. Yeah. And he's he, a good guy. <clears throat> great dude. He's doing like, uh, Vanc- he's like, like the Canadian Regis right now up in Vancouver. He's oh, doing is he? this, yeah, He's doing this morning show, which he loves and hates because he's got like that Pat Kiernan hours where he got to get up at three. Oh, yeah. And get to oh, work. let me tell you something. When <laughs> I was doing the morning show for those three years, yeah, man. getting up at three and commuting in in bad oh, weather from New, New Jersey, there were times when I, you know, because I usually take the train. But the trains you were working NJT, right. right. So yeah. I took, yeah, well, uh-huh. or I take the path train oh, from no, Jersey. Path, yeah. But a guy, I called the car service because I'm like, oh, man, I got to try and get in, uh, you know, in case these tra- trains don't start up again. So the guy wiped out on, on Route 21. And here I was like, you know, he could barely speak English at the time, but I could communicate with him. I found cardboard in the back of his trunk, which I proceeded to try and stick under the tires to pull ourselves out of the uh, oh ditch, God. which we did. You know, but it just kept a lot of pushing, and uh, the thing kept flying out. I have to go back and put it under again. Oh, oh I get God. some traction to get you there to do your morning my 6 show. Six a.m. show, yeah, with oh, Leslie. That's crazy. God, those hours yeah. Will kill me. What time did you get? On? What time did you actually? Well, get? you know what? The only thing I'll tell you what. I mean, I would do it again. Um, but the only thing about that is, you just can't go out to shows as much. I mean, if you go yeah. out and stay out for a show, you're shot out for like the next two days. Mm. Um, I remember going to see uh, Jack White. He was doing a dead weather show, I think it was. Or he was a raconteur or something. And they came on so late that by the time I got home, or you'd go see a band and like they'd be doing three songs. All of a sudden, they start your favorite song and you have to go. Yeah, you know, like, uh, that kind of thing. Right. But I enjoyed it. We had a lot of great guests and it was a lot of fun to do, you know? No, but that's cool. You came from acting. Who were you, some of your favorite actors? Who did you? Uh, dude, I was, I, I was by default, you know what I mean? I, was, uh, I went to school to be a, a, a theatrical director. And then ended up in California doing like crazy, dumb, non prime time, Saved by the Bell type programming for a bit. And That's ended cool. Up what was Ferris. it? What were you on? What was it? Oh God, Matt! Don't turn the interview around. I know what you're doing. <laughs> Stephen no, hates talking about happen. this. I love yeah. it. I love you watching see, it. See, that's though. that's the trick about that's the trick about talking to someone who interviews for a living is you can't help but spin the questioning. Yeah. <laughs> but I will tell you where I'm working now, and this is exciting because for the yeah. first time ever, I think we're both working for the same company. Yeah. You're at Hive, right? Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm in Geek. Oh, cool! That's yeah. great. Tell yeah. me, what is that? The new thing they're doing? MTV Geek. It's their um, it's their like total nerd website. 
So it's awesome. They cover like Comic Con and Toy Fair and oh, video games awesome. and stuff, and it's great. So, so we're working for the same company. We're the same company. How many years has it taken? I'm glad we are finally, right? Yeah. So and so and the Hive is because I remember it was in the news. Everyone's excited. It was like they're bringing 120 minutes back. Yeah. And had that been something that MTV was tweaking, and they called you, or you were like, "Hey, let's let's try something." Yeah. Well, there was com- there was a conversation. With it just for Hiver.com originally. Um, and Bill Flanagan, who's been working there for many a years, great guy, he used to be the editor of Musician Magazine. He's just, you know, mm-hmm. Bill had suggested to them, he made a comment, I thought it was, it was really funny. I saw in an email and said, Want to join me without Matt Pinfield? It was like, you know, and it was some, he ma- mentioned some other artist, like a R&B without Wilson Pickett or something. He made a comment. It was really based on old R&B, but. But, uh, yeah, it was a very nice thing for Bill to do. So, yeah, we did that for a while. They were tweaking it. It was on at 3 in the morning. Then it was on at 7 in the morning. And right now it's on indefinite hiatus at the time being. But that's fine. You know, um, I mean, honestly, I'm so, I mean, I'm doing the Hive thing. I have a syndicated radio show I do, which is a rock history show. It's more on the classic side that I do called Flashback. It's on about 176 radio stations in the U.S. So it's it's a weekend show, and I like I'll focus on one year, one hour. We'll do Flashback News, which is like what happened that week in rock history, and play songs and tell stories and play sound bites. It's pretty cool stuff. So I, I, I sounds like a lot of work, like digging through that stuff. I don't produce it actually. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, I'm going from here to record it, but they produce it in Burbank. I'm oh. just jealous of their good weather out there. Yeah, yeah. Hey, can you have me one of those tissues, Mike? That'd be cool. But um, no, but I've been doing that for a year. Um, uh, and over a year now. And, and I love doing the Hivecast, which is very yeah. cool. You know what else you'll appreciate? MTVX is about to launch. I remember MTVX. They had yeah. it for a while, and then it was disappeared. It was all like hard rock. Yeah, MTV. well, this is, is a, a different, different MTVX. Now oh, it's like, this is digital. It's like a digital thing. It's an app. But I, yeah. They... Um, we were coming up with ideas when we came out around on the time of the Hivecast, and I was sitting with Jessica Robertson, you know, who works over there. I don't know if you met her. And we were just, like, coming up with some cool ideas. And we thought about, she thought, well, she said to me, she goes, wouldn't it be great if they animated you telling one of your stories because you have a certain way of telling stories? So they put together a series. There's nine of them, nine different animators, all stories like one will be about me like uh you know talking to with Metallica. or whatever you know things <laughs> like that stuff like that so what they do but there's some funny really funny ones in there so they get there's like they just find new up-and-coming animators so there's one from Reykjavik Iceland one from Seoul <laughs> Korea awesome. and then there's Pennsylvania California but these things are they're really they're really funny I think you'll really like when them. is this launch yeah, uh, April 1st but oh, it's called Rock Stories with Matt Pinfield and they'll be available for, like as an app on your phone is and Denise it. cutting these Denise Kariki did she maybe Denise cut these she she works for dot com I think she did I think she's uh could it be? Yeah, she could be cutting. I know I saw a little bit of this. All right. Yeah. Okay. It's very cool, isn't it? To just, yeah. yeah. I know I've, I've seen this. It's, it it's all not, bizarre it, animating. Yeah. It's all different styles. Yeah, yeah. Show, it's all different. Know? It's all I crazy. I've seen parts of this. Yeah. Well, one just, of them leaked, and it was it got like it was on Vimeo staff pick of the week, New York Magazine, and then Viacom pulled it down because the girl in Reykjavik, Iceland, just put it up there to get like she wants more work. She didn't realize it wasn't ah, supposed to go up. Right. So I I was like, oh, wow, cool. They put it out. <laughs> I didn't know it wasn't. So they were like, what's that doing out there? But I'm really excited about those. I have There's nine of them done. That's great. And You're then animating gonna, your life, dude. It's there's like going to be eight more next. There's going to be you know, there's someone, uh, starting to record my tracks for eight more in April. So 
It's we, exciting. We should mention we recently had Fred Armisen on the podcast. I love Fred. It was go ahead. You were amazing on Portlandia. Yes, that was yeah, so that was good. so great. I had so much fun doing it. You know, when I got the email from Lauren Michaels, the uh, people in the Portlandia, they were like, "Hey, would you be interested in doing this?" I'm like, oh, "Yeah, where do I sign?" Of course, I love Fred. I love Carrie. I was always, you know, a big Slater Kinney fan, and yeah. I like Wild Flag. And Fred is so funny and just cool. Um, were you a trench mouth fan? Yeah, I like trench mouth. Absolutely, yeah. He Fred's man. He just did a show the other night. I didn't even know about. He was playing over at Bowery. He was with, the, with he, Bob Mold, right? Bob Mold, yeah, and Bob oh, did Mold, he? yeah. yeah. He, the they did a bunch of Husker. I saw just they saw did a picture three of it. Old like Husker Du covers. With was that Fred. at Bob in um in Williamsburg? Was that the one here? No, it was a Bowery. I think it was a Bowery. Yeah, I was out of town. Was that with Baron Heaven opening for Bob? I don't know. I'm not sure. I think so. But yeah, because Fred I just put a picture on Facebook, and it was like Fred Armisen comes out, and it said literally he like three. Old, old Husker. That's songs. great. Have you ever geeked out with John Worcester at all? Because I feel like that I love John Worcester. So you know, he does, that, he does that really cool podcast with Tom Sharple, yeah. which is great. Yes. And uh, I love Tom, uh, too. Yeah, Tom, Tom's great. And John's great, too. John's a really funny guy and a great guy. He's you know? so funny. We had him on, and like his... Uh, you know, um, I, I like Twitter, and I usually follow Twitter just for you know news items and stuff. He's just hilarious. He really John is. John Worcester's so damn funny. John is a funny guy, and he's a great drummer, so he's got yeah. all of that working. Playing with Bob Mould, playing with Super Chunk. Do, do you ever get overwhelmed? Like, I feel like when you were doing 120 Minutes and stuff, it'd be like, there's 20 records came out this week. You could listen to all of them. Someone asks you about it. Now there's so much stuff. Do you ever get overwhelmed? Like, someone tells you to check out a band, but then there's 7,000 other bands you have to check out, or do you still have that passion? I yeah, guess? I still have that passion for it. In fact, I was doing that on, on, uh, on Saturday morning, you know, before I went in and... Um, I went to see my friend uh, Amrit. He was, um, you know, um, from Stereocom. He he directed a movie that he's in. Like, it's called Dosa Hunt. It's him and, like, <laughs> uh, Boston from uh, Vampire Weekend, the two guys from Das Racist, uh, the, the singer of Na- Yaysayer. And it's like this whole Indian food hunt movie. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it was funny. So he invited me to the Winter Film Festival. I was on my, before I came in, and I went to see that to check out Amrit's film with my daughter. Um, and then... What did I do after I went to see some music? I saw a couple of bands that night. Anyway, um, but when I get up in the morning, that's something that I love to do, especially on the weekends. Like, I like to get up and put on music and listen to new things. And, like, it's not only files people have sent me, but I still get CDs in the mail from a lot of people. So I was checking out, like, the new Black Angels the other day. And speaking of Faith No More, <laughs> Roddy Bottom, co-producer involved with this thing called um, Psychic Friend. It's very pop. like it almost okay. like Todd Rundgren meets New Radicals meets... Really? Yeah, but it's good. It's not like he's just producing the guy, but I like it, but there's, there's some good songs on there. That's good to know. Well, I mean, and, he, I mean <laughs> he flipped the script on everybody with that first Imperial Teen record. Yeah. Nobody yeah. knew what that was, right? Like no, they, and yeah. it came out and we're like, what is the poppy's greatest stuff? Yeah. I like, and I like the Psychic Friend record, too. But yeah, I listen to music all the time. I mean, I'll put on things that are older, but yeah, it's just, like I said, the new Black Angels, I love it, I don't play with guns, it sounds like Jesus and Mary Chain meets Love and Rockets, so yeah. it's that kind of like totally... Insane. How do you get to yeah. that point, because I struggle with this a lot, of hearing a song and not going, oh, I like this because it sounds like, as opposed to, this is new, I like this. Well, I, there's, a, there's a fine line. I mean, I, you, you always look at those reference points so that it's, it's something that you have to de- describe it to people. But I don't overanalyze it to the point where I'm like, oh, God, this sounds like, yeah, because I try not to let myself get jaded in that way mm. where I'm, you know. Like, it was funny. I was listening to um, Divine Fits, which is, you know, 
bread from spoons record. Mm-hmm. And, I, and there's this one song called Flying in a Ride. And right in the middle of it, it does this whole thing that's like, cures, let's go to bed. So I was like, instead of like going, this sounds like that, I'm like, well, that'd be a great segue. You know, like something to play on the radio back to back. Oh, that's, a, it, that's a very <laughs> DJ way of thinking. Like, yeah. oh, shoot, I can bleed this into yeah. the cure immediately. Yeah, yeah it would be fun. Oh, we used to do a smart. thing where you would spin... They would like spin your iPod or yeah, whatever. Yeah, that was that. That's not real though, right? Or when they would do that, that oh, could yeah. Because I was, yeah, I was, was thinking because there would be a lot of random shit that would be on there. Like, would there be something that you would be like, oh, I hope it doesn't land on? Well, uh, if it was something that I knew was really inappropriate for radio, I would just move it to the next. Song. Okay, so that's what I was like. Yeah, because I, mean, I was there's like, there's hip hop and there's like, there's songs, there's oh, songs, yeah. rock that. songs in there that say fuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I was gonna say there's gonna be a lot you of those. Yeah, take your shat <laughs> records off your iPod. <laughs> yeah, that's shat. I can't believe you bring up shat. <laughs> it somehow always comes it back. Always to gets shat. back to shat. Yeah, <laughs> shat's in Jersey, right? Is that where he's from? I know. He. I came across one of his CDs the other day. I was going through some discs. Really, the Buddy had one. I think Buddy had put out one of his records. Yeah. I like those. Those buddy guys are so funny, man. They call me, they'll call me like for four in the morning or one of them go, dude, I was just watching the ACDC documentary on the 5.1 back in black. Is that, that's your fucking voice, isn't it? And it was. Yeah, it was. I narrated it. But I mean, those guys, you know, it's so funny. I'll get that call, um, which I don't mind. No. Buddy they're cool guys. They're funny dudes. They are like so guys. funny. God, they crack me up. Yeah, the shit they used to do was hilarious. Like breaking, going into people's offices and taking pictures there. Dude, I think those we were talking <laughs> with my friend the other day. They're kind of ahead of their time, especially that whole sarcastic, really that biting tone. Yeah, like they were. You'd read that news and it would be fucking hilarious. Yeah. And now I feel like like everyone kind of has that. Yeah, but they're really ahead on that. Biting, they were biting yet informative. Yeah, and then like, when they would put up people's cell numbers, that yeah, cracked that me up yeah. so much. That stuff that was before the days of people hacking into phones. Yeah, yeah, as well. Oh my god! So they were way ahead of their time at, at you know at putting people's privacy out there. And then the funniest remember when they went into Fred Durst's office. They go, they're like they were always having an issue with Fred. They go in and take a picture of his office. They held they, his hat as ransom. I think. What? I think they stole his hat and were trying to like hold it as ransom. Yeah. Some crazy shit. It was so funny. People were just, uh, yeah, you know. Um, I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. So you got a lot of, uh, you always have a lot of cool stuff going on. And I'm this- going to South by Southwest. You know, are you going this, this year? No, I'm just going to no. go. Brad, Brad's going. Yeah, I'm only going really for a couple days because I'm going to come back. My daughter's film is playing Lincoln Center, so I wanted to bring her to that. Um, uh, so I'm going to. But I'm only I'm going down there to host uh, this artist platform stage for CMT for CMT MTV and VH1, and Jim James is headlining for my morning jacket. So that'll be cool. Oh, that'll be cool. Not Yim Yams. No, you, you know, so funny you said that because Leslie Fram and I was my morning show co-host. You know, yeah. she works at CMT now. Actually, she's a senior vice president there. But she's got, she texts me, "Are you going to see Yim Yams?" Because we used to always go, "What the fuck is that all about?" And I asked him, and he was like, "Ah, oh, we're just fucking around one day," and I'm like. I'm like, dude, I, I thought maybe that he had gone to order like some kind of you know, like food, and, and somebody called him Yim Yames. He went to get <laughs> it back to him. He, he went to like Starbucks. he was ordering Chinese food, or he was ordering like you know, and, and somebody would have broken out. Is that, is that a Yim Yames? <laughs> we got it. So, somebody from Norway did not pronounce it. Is that a soft J? Yeah, it might be Norway. He might have been, you know, maybe it was Oslo. Uh, yeah. He was on tour there. It just reminded me, before I forget, food. You're a New Brunswick guy. You're a Rutgers yeah. guy. Do you do, were you a grease trucks dude? Did you ever do that? Or? Well, I love the grease trucks. There used to actually be a real um, place there in the real early days called Greasy Tony's, which had the trash can. Um, was that before, like, all the fat sandwiches came? Yeah, and it was came before a lot of those. But you know what? The, um, 
You know what I love in Brunswick down there too is the stuff your faces. You know the oh, bullies? Yeah. yeah, yeah and that yeah. was Mario Batali's first cooking job. The stuff your face. Because he went to Rutgers there. You know what I mean? That's so funny the people that went to Rutgers and it used to come out when you know when I was DJing, like Kristen Davis from Sex and the City and you know, like all these people that, you know, would come out. I didn't even really barely knew them, but you know, hey, what do you play a song? Those people were all coming out in those years. Which um and James Gandolfini, who I, you know, was another one who, you know, Looks a lot. Looks older than he actually is, but um, yeah, he would. He was. He was around. All those Mason Gross students would come out to the melody when I was DJing there. It was pretty cool. You know, it was fun. It was. I, I loved the. It was such a fucking freak show because it was like you'd have jocks, you'd have transvestites, you'd have gay, straight, every nationality. Um, and I used the jocks as the first example just because it was so diverse. All the art students, like it was just. And people would come from everywhere from, like, Philly to New York City. The best is Moby coming down there years before his first ever record. He was told by somebody that I was a really cool guy to meet, and he came down with a cassette demo looking for a gig of, to play his music. And I said to Moby, go, hey, good to meet you. Somebody brought him up and introduced him to me. He's like, my, my name's Moby. I'm looking for a gig to play like my, my dance music, um, you know, and perform it. I said, oh, man, do you have a PA? He's like, no. I go, we're getting one in six months. And so I said, well, you know, so he came and said, oh, just hang out, spend some records with me for a while. Then he left that night. Six to seven months later, I see his first single in the store, Drop a Beat or Go, one of those two, or only 12 inches on Instinct. And I'm like, Moby, same guy? Turns out it was. And then, you know, like Radiohead, when they first came over Pablo Honey, they got in a van and left New York City to come hang out there where I was spending on a Sunday night. So they drove 45 minutes to Jersey because they heard it was a cooler cool place to go question so about those, you know what i mean things like that are question about moby yeah was he bald when he met you or did he get inspired i think he might have uh, been bald or at least had shorter yeah i think he was always <laughs> bald yeah yeah he, he's doing great oh, in fact yeah, my man. friend was it was just over at his house out in la and he was he was spinning like a small private dance party for everybody. It was Dustin Hoffman, Michael C. Hall, Dexter, of course, Heather Grander, all these people loved it. Random people. That sounds like one of my small parties. Yeah, I, like, yeah Dustin I know. Hoffman's always. I know, yeah, I know he's, he's at your there. house last night. Yeah, wasn't he's it? always hanging out. <laughs> Such a nice dude. He's always Brad, first, they all get naked and kill yeah, each yeah. other. Yeah. yeah, it's funny shit though, isn't it? Oh god, it's, it's it's weird. It's like that. It's like a whole other world. Yeah, when you think about it, I can't believe um, Dexter's going to end. I'm bummed. This is the last season coming. You think? Up. So, you think it's going to be the end, though, or no? I think it is. Yeah, I think it's the last season, or at least that's what they've said. I, get, I gave fan. up on it. I, really? I bailed I, after I, Colin Hanks. I was like, I'm out. I'm yeah, done. you know what? It's funny you said that because that was the only season that I wasn't happy with. Yeah, I didn't. I wasn't too happy uh, with that either. Yeah, because right. the Edward James almost ghosting didn't work for me. I no, was like, I this know. is nonsense. Yeah, I didn't understand how he kept disappearing, and I was like, wait, he yeah. can't jump out. How did he move? And he paints those murals awfully quick. Yeah. You know? Yeah, no, I, but the last season redeemed itself, I thought. I, I liked so last too, yeah. season, huh. you yeah, know? Yeah. I know you gave up already, but I liked it. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I liked Hannah, the murdering girl that he was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With. But huh. I just thought it was um it it won my won my uh won it back for me because okay. I had liked the one before too with Julia Stiles and yeah, um, I, liked, I didn't mind yeah. that. Johnny Lee Miller, man, he was great. Creepy motherfucker. He's uh, he, yeah. he's a good actor, man. That was he's good. Really I think good. he's one of those dudes that's like Angelina Jolie. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah. What do you think? <laughs> he's it, been there. What did been you, there, done that. First wife. <laughs> can, you imagine, the, uh, can you imagine any any other woman he dates after that? Who's your first wife? Uh, Angelina Jolie. Okay. <laughs> I know it's true. Great. I, uh, I loved the. Remember the Jimmy Smith season with uh, you know where he was like. Uh, oh yeah, where he kills his brother. Yeah, yeah. And then was, during that season, I was at Fuse actually, and I was getting. Into, I got into the ele- elevator, and Jimmy Smith gets in. It was literally right before like the last few episodes, and I was like. Oh, 
Did you say hi to him? I'm going to do it. And it was like the two of us in there, and he was literally like, so I just kept looking over at him, and he was like in a baseball cap, and he's really tall. And I was like, yeah. all right, uh, all right, what happens, man? Are you? Do you live or whatever? And he just starts like hysterically laughing, and he goes, "It does not look good for me, my friend." Nope, like, exactly <laughs> yes, like that. It does yeah. not look, does good, not look good for me, me my friend. friend. And I was That's dying. Fantastic. And then he got out. He was oh, belly yeah. laughing, and he just got out. And I was like, "I had to do it." It was one of those moments. Where you're like, "I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it." Oh God, tell me what happens. You know, like when I, you know you get into an elevator with somebody. Yeah, I think that's cool. Good for you doing that. That's great. I'm glad sure, you asked yeah. them. Yeah, I had yeah. to. But it was his answer was just the best. He just goes, "Does not look good." Of course, I do he like when people get that invested in something that yeah. they feel necessary I had to, to say something. Yeah. And part someone. of my job is to never, ever be like that. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, like, you know, it's funny you said that because I know I had Michael C. Hall come and do the morning show. I heard he's remember? Like the nicest guy. Too. Yeah, he's great. I remember because it's Hot 97, too. And some, I guess some of the girls at the reception weren't really like, weren't, didn't really know Dexter. So mm. they were like, Matt, there's a Michael C. Hall walking around the hall looking for you. <laughs> I'm like, okay. And it's like, you, know, you watch Six Feet Under? Yeah. Yeah, Six Feet Under or Dex. He was so cool. Yeah. Uh, he did a takeover and picked a bunch of music, and he was emailing me going, hey, he's a cool guy. Add a couple more songs. I'm like, you're Dexter. Of course it is. That's you have time. He did a promo for my show, which was so cool. He's like, I've got Matt Pinfield saran wrapped to the kill table. <laughs> he goes, so I'm taking over the station this Sunday night. He did a promo. It was Dude, great. Awesome. In that voice he Dude, has. people are nuts. <sighs> people have Dexter tattoos. People have blood slides. I've seen. Yeah, <laughs> blood like, slides? This, the slides. Oh, like, get, tattoos? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, people are fucking hard. You, you probably have the opportunity to have the most hilarious outgoing voicemail message from everybody you've met. You could be like, this is Hetfield. Leave a yeah. message for Matt. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's true. You know, I, have, I can't have remember the last time I did no? that. A while ago, and I don't even remember who it was because it was definitely like in the 90s. I'm not sure who. It Had was. to be someone like, like for you, like Angus off Young the beaten my path. Like, Angus yeah. Young. Oh, yeah. God. That would be like who's know, that? Angus Young. I have him leave yeah. my outgoing message forever. Be like, just leave that one. I had dinner with him um, years ago. He and Brian when I was in the MTV Music Department. I pulled him aside and said, "Man, you got to tell me some stories about Bond." You know what I mean? <laughs> Brian's a great guy too. Yeah. Super nice dude. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I love that old ACDC. Angus is. Uh, he makes me look tall, and that's not. <laughs> he's, really, he's really that little. He's super small. Wow. Like I mean. You know, it's it's unbelievable how he's one of the shortest people I've ever I've ever met in music, shorter than Prince. Yeah. You know what I mean? Really? So yeah, wow, Short, so. shorter than Shakira. I'm not sure. No, I mean I've met her and I can't remember. She's four nine. She's four nine. I interviewed her and I was, remember she was super tiny. I remember then then I saw how tall the heels she was wearing were. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll have her sitting on boxes then at The Voice when she starts uh, doing... She took over for Christina Aguilera, it looks yeah, like. In, yeah. What happened to Christina? That she and CeeLo are going on tour because NBC... She's NBC taking a 30-day vacation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that wouldn't be... A, that wouldn't be, that's that's be. I've heard some stories. Story. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she, um, hey, I, I, I can say that because I, I've, I've, I've been through it myself. I'm just kidding. But, uh, no, but what, I yeah. hope she's fine. Yes. <laughs> Apparently, the voice did really well for NBC. You were um, asking about... You know, the Stones thing was, I interviewed all four of the Stones for that Bigger Bang album. Like, they heard the U2 specials that I did, so Jagger wanted me to do the specials. So, it was the first time in, like, 35 years... That the remaining members of the Stones sat together during the interview. You know, they never, they weren't even, Don was told me, the producer, that, um, you know, they were hardly even together making half those records in the 80s, really. They were like not even in the same studio. Um, but after Charlie got throat cancer mm -hmm. and was suffering from it, I think they made him think about their mortality. So they decided to start doing it together again. And I had the greatest time. They all came up. 
It was one minute before broadcast time. It was going live in the U.S., mm-hmm. Japan, and New Zealand. It was running live this interview. So I had a taped intro that I did, and I'm sitting there, and fucking it's two minutes there time. No sign of the stones. Next thing you know, they all walk in. First, it's Ronnie Wood. He goes and sits down, and it was after he'd gotten out of rehab, so he's just drinking tea. Then next is, um, the next is uh, Keith. And he's drinking Grey Goose, and I don't know what happened to his taste buds, because I looked at him, and I go, what? I go, Fanta Orange Soda. <laughs> Keith, come on! What's up? Where's the Jack and Coke? <laughs> don't let us down. Fanta Orange Soda? I can't, you know, was, I was, it was all, it was all they had And then the, the rest of them were drinking made. tea, but Charlie came in, and then Mick, and they, it, they were great. Because even during the breaks of the interview, when the music was on, first of all, they were taking live phone calls, emails. Answering stuff on the thing. And then in between, they're sitting there talking to me about fucking records, B-side shows. They were like just cool. I mean, I was blown away. They weren't like, oh, I don't want to talk about that. I don't care. They were really, really nice guys. And they were fun, fun to do the interview with. I have a serious <laughs> feeling that everyone is nice and cool to you. And I don't mean like, oh, no one's ever, because I find most people are nice and cool. Yeah. I've only had a couple of fuckwits that I've talked to in my career. Who are they? Can you say, or you want to just say it off um, the mic? No, say I, one. I'll say them both. Uh, yeah. Uh, Lady Gaga. Yeah. And Pat Monahan from Train. Why was Lady Gaga, what was she doing? She was, I asked her a question that I had read in other interviews that the journalist who wrote the interview um, had... Uh, like like it was it was a question that that I had heard her answer before and seen her answer before and I thought it was just a no brainer question. Yeah, and it was about her uh, record Mon- uh, monster and f- then she had the fame monster record that came out. Um, and I said, so you re released the record and and you had another album with it and she's like, can we start over? I went, why? She went, because it's a whole separate record, and I don't want to confuse my fans. And I went, well, it came out with this one, and it's okay. Just explain it to us. We don't need to cut or start over. I think we should start over. And then from then on, like, the interview was just her very snippy, um, uh, very biting. And at the very end, I said, you know what? Because I'm a fan. I like her stuff. And yeah. I've seen her live a couple times. And I went, you know, thank you so much for the, you know, the songs. And just you know, keep the songs coming. She went, I just gave you nine more. I'm not a candy store. I just gave you nine more. I'm not a candy store. Yeah, and I looked at the camera and I went, "Not yet, you aren't." And that was it. That was the end of the interview. Oh, she said that to you on camera. <laughs> on camera, and you said, "Not yet, you aren't." Yeah, yeah. and that that's really there's no there's no reason. For and it that. bummed me out. And then so then afterwards was like a fan interview, like like a college kid who won a contest. I was working at MySpace at the time. Yeah, and uh, they had won this contest. And she was like, oh, I'll be nice to you. I'm just only not nice to journalists. And I was like, she hates journalists. Oh, she's talking about me? Yeah. What the fuck? And it was just really rude and obnoxious. And I was bummed. I was yeah. very bummed. That's and disappointing. Especially when you like the person. Yeah. And Pat Monahan, to his credit, I heard after the fact that he was difficult. And I've heard from many producers that he was difficult. I've talked to producers who asked the question that I'm, I'm kind of asking you, but not really. Who have you talked to that's the most difficult, you know? And I usually have not said what I'm answering you, yeah. but you're Matt Pinfield, so I can tell you. Um, I've had producers go, oh, hey, man, Pat Monahan from Train. I'm like, what? Really? That's crazy. Mine too, you know? He was just really rude and kept making fun of me, and it was my first day at VH1. Wow. So at the time, I blamed myself for being green, didn't know what I was doing. What was he saying? Yeah. Um, he took the mic out of my hand and grabbed it and started doing talking to himself and i didn't know any better i grabbed it and pulled it back and was like cut it out 
Yeah, um, that's funny. That's which I'm glad you did. That. Uh, yeah, that's actually that's a good interaction. Yeah. You handled that save. Yeah. It was good, man. Well, I, what else are you gonna do? Like, yeah. don't take the fuck. That's my job. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> go, go sing drops of Jupiter. Um, I once. I remember when I slapped Bonehead in the head from Oasis on my first one, but for fun, I just go like this because he was busting my balls. On the, you know, like, it was so funny. I started a fight between him and Noel over City or United Manchester. <laughs> this was when I did it in '95 because I love Oasis. You yeah, know? and I love and I'm. I've done so much work with them over the years. But Bonehead made a comment. I go, yeah, you know, I go, I know you like the jam i go yeah i loved weller when i was a kid <laughs> Boy, he, looks at me, he goes i would have thought you were talking about buddy holly so i went like this and i slapped him i didn't fucking give a shit because at this point i didn't even know if 120 was going to be my show i um you know like i was i it, i'd come back on and done it after the first two years later from when i had done it last time or a year and a half mm-hmm. and they were like oh you know what we're gonna have you do it for three weeks and see how it goes and then of course after one week they were like they saw the oasis thing and went i the woman who and she goes, I want, I want you to do one eighty. See, in that kind of moment, that that honest, sincere moment is what got it, and then you became synonymous something with a show that had been hosted by other people. You yeah, know? that show, like one hundred twenty minutes, is Matt Pinfield. You know what I mean? And Kendall was great. You know, and and I even you know I watched a lot of the stuff with Dave Holmes. Yeah, and all great and guys Lewis too. Yeah, and Lewis too. But like, I think of you when I think of that show, and I think of you know music, and I think of things that break out. Yo, thank you. I appreciate it. Matt Pinfield, the second in our series of video hosts. We had Jim Shearer as a VJ, Matt Pinfield. We've we... had more, actually. Who else? Jared Cotter. Oh, Jared was here. Oh, my Julia. God. Jared and Julia. Oh, man. We're getting all the hosts in here. Right? Oh, my heavens to Betsy. Forgive me, everyone, <laughs> for forgetting. Those, those were a long time ago. Yeah. It feels like a... Like, yeah, Jared's still hosting. And our Matt's Hurricane hosting. Sandy uh, podcast with uh, Stephen Smith. Oh, that guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, Stephen Smith. Yeah, he's a tool, it's been said. Yeah. <laughs> did, did you? It's true. Yes. Did I send you that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did I send you that message where some guy on iTunes wrote, uh, <laughs> I can't get into this. Stephen's a tool and Jonah's just too Williamsburg for me. <laughs> <laughs> and it... That really hurt. Awesome. Like I feel like I'm I'm good at taking criticism and especially in the internet I don't take it too seriously, but I was like, man, that is a sick burn. <laughs> like that really hurt. Yeah. Uh, I had to retweet it. it was too that good. is a rough one. Yeah, yeah. So good. So we'll take all of your reviews, positive, <laughs> negative, mediocre, yeah, and let me know. Melancholy. If, send us an email if you think I'm acting just too Williamsburg. Because we want to know what that means. Yeah. Jonah wants to be a tool. It's like, how really do you, how do I oh, add a tool? Damn it. That's, he's jealous of you. How does that translate to like over the radio? It's not like I'm like, so I was at this club in Williamsburg last night. Then I went to this bar in Williamsburg. Williamsburg's the best. Like, maybe they met Williamsburg, Virginia. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> so Bush Gardens. Oh, that is like it's that. It's the musket. Opposite. <laughs> Yeah, that must be it. Oh, no, that's no. actually Williamsburg. That's actually Brooklyn, the musket. Oh, the That'll musket. be the next thing. Musket is coming back. Soon you're gonna I should s- know. Soon, the next thing in, in hipsterdom, tri-corners. Yeah. That's it. Go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash going off track if you want to leave us a review, comment, or anything. Um, I'd love them all if people would sign their real names. I mean that in the nicest way. Like, yeah, stand and maybe, by your comment. Yeah, put your name. Be a man. <laughs> Uh, hit up our website, goingofftrack.com. There's a wonderful donate but uh, donate button if you want to make sure that you know Jonah has more skinny jeans to wear <laughs> in Williamsburg. It's important to have the uniform uh, right. I'm gonna maybe get some breaks for my fixed gear bike at some point, <laughs> so I need to save up. I'll see you next week. We're in Brooklyn. Yeah!